Well, hey guys, welcome to Young Adults. We're excited that you are here tonight. Thank you, Bailey, you're the man. Guys, we are going on in a series called What is the Wise Thing to Do? What is the Wise Thing to Do? And I wanna open up in Ephesians 5 tonight, and it's one of my favorite little pieces about wisdom, because in Ephesians, what you read is a lot of practical stuff about the gospel. You learn what the gospel is, but then when he's kind of done talking about those things and what the church should be, he gets in Ephesians 5, and verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. The idea is, is that we don't just move forward in foolishness, we look carefully how we live. Logan talked about that a couple weeks ago, that we look carefully where we walk. What he's talking about is being careful the way that we live. He says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of our time because the days are evil. And the word picture here is that there is a sweeping water going by your legs, and if you're not careful, it will sweep you by, and it seems slow and low at first, but it will come and get you. So it says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So today, uh, what we are talking about is to walk in a wise way, we walk with integrity. We walk with integrity. And integrity is one of those things that's not the most fun topic to talk about. When you think through integrity, you're like, okay, I want my bank to have integrity. I want the government to have integrity. I want my job to have integrity. They said they would pay me this amount and I wanna get paid that amount. Like I want that to be it. Um, uh, so integrity is not the most fun to always talk about um, because personal integrity is you just hope everybody around you has it and you hope you kind of get a pass because when you want to not have integrity, you want to not have integrity. But when you want integrity around you, you want them to have integrity. So it, it's kind of this like catch-22 thing. Um, there was a time where I didn't have integrity. There's, there's times I've had not integrity that are scary and concerning and there are times that are a little bit funny. This one was a little bit of both. Um, when I was in community college in St. Louis, any OTC Eagle Pride in the room? We got one or two. They're here but they're quiet. Um, went to community college for two years in St. Louis and uh, went to uh, a couple of classes on the main campus. Most of what I did was a satellite campus and went to a couple classes on the main campus and I could never gauge uh, the timing right for how long it took to get there. So um, I would always end up getting there just like right on time or just like just enough time to park and get to class. And uh, I'll be honest, a couple of times I parked illegally, okay? I got to campus, it was bigger than the satellite campus I was used to going to and I'd park illegally. And uh, one time I came back out to my car and I had this little slip of paper underneath my windshield wiper and it was a ticket. And I held on to that ticket and I thought, okay, I've heard that you get a free pass uh, on the first one. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I heard you get a free pass on the first one. I'm gonna hang on to it and see what happens when I try to graduate with my associate's degree. Um, so, hung on to it. Um, and as I'm driving that 20 minute drive to the main campus, a couple of times I thought, I'm gonna be late again and I might get a ticket again. But I've heard of this working. You park illegally again, but then you go ahead and take that ticket when you get out of your car, you put that underneath your windshield wiper, free pass to park illegally again. And it worked a couple of times. And it was great. And I parked in faculty parking and it was great. And uh, you all are laughing because you're like, that's a terrible thing to do. I did it and it worked until it didn't. And uh, I started to walk into my car and I could see from a long way off, a guy in a security guard uh, outfit was waiting near my car and I looped back, hung out in the building until he walked away, and then I left and pretended it never happened. You've never seen me run so fast. Um, 
But we want integrity when we want integrity. Um, the word integrity comes from the word integer. If you remember your math stuff, integer is like one. It's a whole number. It's not fractional. It's not divided. So when you think through all the different fractions of who you are, there's a lot of pieces of who you are in different situations. And the opposite of being a whole is being fractured. When you think through, through being integer, being integrity, the opposite is being a hypocrite that you are one way in one space and that you're another way in another space. Maybe you say one thing, but you do another. You say that you believe one thing, but you go and you do another. And the word hypocrite is one that no one ever wants to be called. No one comes home and tells their spouse like, hey, you know, my boss called me a hypocrite today. It was kind of nice. No one's ever said that. No one wants to be a hypocrite. It's not fun. It's not desirable. It's not ideal. And the word hypocrite comes from Shakespearean plays. I looked this up. It comes from Shakespearean plays that there were these guys, and the root word is, is, I can't pronounce it, but it sounds like hypocrite, and this guy would come out and he would wear a mask and he would be one character. Then the play would go on and he would go back to the back and he would get a different mask and he would be another character. And that's where we get the idea of hypocrite. Same person, two different masks, two different ideas. And I brought out uh, an object lesson, brought this from home. I borrowed these things from my son Jetson. Um, my son Jetson loves being in costume. Uh, if it were up to him, he would be in costume 100% of the time. If you've seen us at Walmart or you've seen my wife's Instagram stories, that dude is dressed as Iron Man or Spider-Man or sometimes he comes to Wednesday night dinner dressed as some of those things. Um, but Jet has a lot of, of costumes. Um, he's, got, he's got a nice little Iron Man costume. Um, he's got a Batman He's got, um, this one's my favorite, it's a pterodactyl, and it's not really a mask, it's just cute, it sits on top of his head, uh, this one's kind of fun. Uh, he's got a Spider-Man, guys, these are not half of his masks, I need you to know that. Um, he's got a nice dino hat, uh, but my favorite is he picked this up uh, not too long ago, but it's a little Optimus Prime deal, that I think it says something if you, maybe we killed the batteries. Oh, it's, oh, it says something in his voice. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. But Jetson does such a good job. Like, we'll try to talk to him, and we're like, hey, Jet. And he's like, I'm Iron Man. And he'll, like, he'll, do, the, he'll do the arms thing. And you're talk, talking to him, and he's just like, he's zoned in. He's Spider-Man. You're not talking to Jet. You're talking to Spider-Man. And it's like, you got to, hey, bud, hey, come to right here. But, hey, I know you're Jetson in there. And he's just, he's Spider-Man until he's not Spider-Man anymore, and you can't get that out of him. And it's silly for Jet, and it's really fun to have masks and to kind of pretend and play, and Jet would live that way forever if we really wanted to. But I think um, for us, you look at it and you go, okay, maybe I don't dress up as Spider-Man, but maybe I'm a different person at work than I am at home. And maybe I'm a different person on the weekend than I am during the week. Maybe I'm a different person on Tuesday nights and on Sunday mornings than I am on Wednesday mornings or Monday mornings. And maybe you're a different person financially. Maybe you're a different person online. Maybe you are a different person with a certain group of friends than you would care to explain to anyone in this room. And we end up living our lives like where we get that definition of hypocrite that when the situation calls for it, we find the right mask and we put it up to our face and we say, this is me, this is me, this is who I am. And you could write anything on there. You could write good church kid, 
You could write responsible, but then you get in a different situation and you could write looks at pornography. You could write made some mistakes this weekend. You could write would do whatever it takes to be in the right relationship. And we wear one of these masks around, not to pretend, but to put on a front of who we want to be perceived as or who we think that we are, when in reality we have a fractured view of who we are. And we present a fractured view of ourselves to everyone around us. What does a lack of integrity affect? What does it matter if I live two different lives? What does it matter if I look at something on the internet? What is it, what does it change if I clock in a little longer than I'm supposed to? What does it change if I grab something I'm not supposed to? What does it change if I tell a little white lie? What does it matter? One of the, one of the words that we use integrity around is structural integrity. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a bridge in Minnesota that failed, and there was some video of it that something happened where this bridge hadn't been inspected in a couple of years, and one of the, the posts, one of the pillars that held it up over the body of water that was in gave way. And what happens when the stu- structural integrity starts to go away is that it's not just that one post that feels it, it's everything around it. And you've been there. We've seen it. We've seen celebrities that have brought down entire groups of people because they had no integrity. They were one person to the public and they were one person in private. We've seen organizations get brought down. We've seen whole companies that weren't who they say they were because a top leader in their organization, someone was letting something go on that they weren't proud of, that they put underneath the rug, that they brushed underneath the rug and they had no integrity. See, what happens whenever a bridge fails is that everything else ends up wearing the burden that that bridge was supposed to wear because that integrity left it. And I would probably beg to say that there's probably people in this room and probably most people in this room that have a family that is shaped by either integrity or lack of integrity. And it doesn't take much of a lack of integrity for that to start shaping your family in difficult and hurtful and painful ways. That someone hurt someone. Someone lied, didn't tell the truth. Someone did something to someone in their family that would never, ever, ever forgive them for. I remember one of my first uh, recollections of what our president was, was when I was maybe seven or eight years old and he was being impeached. Why? Because he had a lack of integrity. And our whole country suffered because he wasn't worrying about leading the country. He was struggling with a lack of integrity. Like a bridge that fails, a lack of integrity harms everything around it. So we're going to look at Acts 4 and what's happening, sorry, Acts 5, and what's happening in Acts 4, we'll actually read a couple verses before it. What's happening in the first couple chapters of Acts is really exciting because what you see at the end of Matthew, at the end of some of the Gospels is, is that Jesus spends time with his disciples after he's died on the cross, he's been buried in a grave, and they, they had this, well, what do we do now? They met together, they got in a room, but what they didn't know is that some of the people that were with them 
Mary Magdalene came to them and said, listen, the tomb where he was is empty. He's not there anymore. And they go and they see for themselves and Jesus appears to them and it absolutely blows their minds. And he spends some time with them, but then he leaves. And, and he just kind of tells them like, hey, you'll do greater things. Things will go well, like, but I'm leaving you. And, and I'm sure for them it was confusing and disorienting. But what you start to see happen is that, that God's church, that, God, that Jesus' church started to enact and enable and crazy things were happening. If you've never read, this is my challenge to you, if you've never read the first couple chapters of Acts, do it tonight and through the end of this week because what we get to today is just a piece of what was going on in the life of the church. And what you read in Acts 2, the church is coming together and being who they should be, and it's such an encouraging piece. And what we read right before Acts 5, we're going to read it on just, in just a moment, in Acts 4, verse 32 through 37, it's encouraging and it's challenging. And I want to be a part of a church that's like this. Look at Acts 4, verse 32 through 37. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. This was not saying that like, oh, it's crazy. You went to that high school, I went to this high school. They didn't have that in common. What they had in common was like, man, we've been changed by Jesus, so my stuff is your stuff, whatever you need. It's all good because why? We have everything that is most important in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Who doesn't want to be a part of a church that looks like that? There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed, distributed to each as any had need. And it gives an example. It says, thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So they're explaining who this person is, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is what was going on in the life of the young infant church. And who doesn't wanna be a part of a church that looks that way? But what we read in the next chapter is an alarming situation of what happens when there's a lack of integrity. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I talked about this yesterday with Logan and we're sitting in the office, it's like this is concerning. This is heavy. It made me re look at things and go, am I living with integrity? Am I doing things the right way because this is heavy and it's serious? And I understand that as we move into it. I want you to see it too. Look at Acts 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they sold a piece of land. They see everybody else. All these Christians are selling pieces of land. This is good, and, and they're bringing all the proceeds together, and they're giving it to the church to be separated out because probably what was happening in the life of the church is that people that were marginalized, people that were pushed to the edge of society were coming and having a faith in Jesus, and these people that were at the edge of society needed help. They needed people to step in for them. They needed people to sell land so that they could have something to live off of. And that's what everyone was doing. And it was kind of this movement. And they had this momentum. And good things were happening. And Ananias and Sapphira said, we, we got to be a part of this. So they sold a piece of land. But somewhere between the sale of the piece of land and when they get to the church, they kept a piece back. And you're, think, you're thinking probably what I was thinking when I first read this. Is that that big of a deal? Because it just says they kept back a piece of it for themselves, that maybe they sold it for 100K and they, they kept 
50 and gave 50. Is that that big of a deal? Well, the answer is really not translated well in Acts 5. That word, when he says he kept back some for himself, it's the same word that we see in Joshua 7. And what's happening in Joshua 7 is the Israelite people are wandering the desert. They don't know what's going on. They come up against the city of Jericho and God tells them, hey, I want you to have a victory over the city of Jericho. And here they are, all these campers, and then there's this city. Like, how are we supposed to have any victory up against this massive city? And God says, you know what? You're going to walk around it a bunch of times, and in the end, you're going to yell really loud and blow a trumpet, and then you're going to win. It didn't make any sense, but they did it. And, and God said, hey, by the way, don't keep anything for yourselves. Don't keep anything for yourselves. He said, he uses the phrase, devoted all to destruction, which sounds cool. Like, I need to use that the next time we have a staff versus intern basketball game. Like, you will be devoted to destruction. Like, nothing was held back for themselves. You didn't get to go through. And as you were destroying this city, you got to keep a little bit for yourselves. He said, everything is given away. Everything is either given to the temple or it's burned. So they do that. They have this big victory. It's clearly a victory that God gave them. Why? Because they walked around the city. They didn't have anything to do with it. God caused it to happen. And they go out to fight this small group of people in Joshua 7. And what you see is like, these spies go out and they go see it and they go, hey, listen, these people, it says these people are few. There's not that many. Don't send everybody. We just need 3,000 men. That's it. We'll go and defeat them. And it says that they basically just got slaughtered. I mean, they got, they got just the tar kicked out of them by this small group of people. And, and, and it says that Joshua goes back and he gets on his hands and his knees and he's mourning before God. And he says, God, why, why did this happen? We had the hand of the Lord on us in Jericho and now this small group of people that we just said, said are few just beat us. Why did this happen? And it says that in that moment, God told him and Aaron, someone kept something. Someone kept something back for themselves. So it said that you go to every tent and you, you, you bring each tribe, you bring each family, you bring each person, and you ask them, have you taken anything for yourselves? And it finally gets to this guy, Akam. And Akam says, yes, I took something. And here's where it's buried. It's in my tent. It's buried under my bed. There's gold and there's silver, what was supposed to be given to God. And what happens is several things. There's a consequence there that the army died. There were people in the army. It says 36 men died in that battle. The people of Israel were halted. They didn't go do what God told them to do because they were stunted waiting for this movement that they didn't get to move forward because one person lacked integrity. And then there's a consequence of him and his family died. And you read it and you're like, man, that, that seems harsh. But the analogy here, what, what, what happened is that he kept something back for himself and he did it in a hidden, dishonest, not credible deceptive, secret way. And it's the same wording in both. That Ananias didn't come in and say, hey, I sold this for 100,000, here's 50, I'm keeping 50 for myself. He came in and said, I sold it for 50. He was dishonest. He said one thing and he did another. And he wasn't honest. That's what he did. And then I want you to look at verse three and four. And Peter's reaction here seems a little harsh. It says, and Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the, Lord, to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds 
of the land. One, one of the things I want you to note here is that Satan is this initiator. And while that may have happened in his heart, in his mind, and he heard those words in his voice, Satan was the initiator. And we have to know that when it comes from Satan, when it comes from a place of our flesh, the end is for him to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a high promise and a low delivery. And while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deep into your heart? The first note I want you to take is that God takes a lack of integrity seriously. God takes a lack of integrity seriously. I I read this and I, I kept reading it over and over like, did I miss something? Why is it that this guy just stole a little bit why is it that the guy in Joshua just stole a little bit and they, he ended up dying? And why is it that Peter had this harsh reaction? It's the same reason that Jesus would go and, and meet with people and the people that were broken and the people that were hurting, he would come in and he would spend time with them. But the people that puffed up their chest and said, hey, we have this all figured out, Jesus was like, you don't get it. You're bringing all of your good works, like that's what's gonna get you into heaven, that's what's gonna get you in my good graces, but you can't gain merit with God by the things that you do or the things that you don't do. And the Pharisees thought they had it. The Pharisees thought that they were the ones who had figured it out. But Jesus called, I mean, he called the Pharisees lots of things, but he he said they were like whitewashed tombs. They were pretty on the outside, but inside they were dead. God takes a lack of integrity Seriously, and I left off the last sentence of verse four, and he says, you have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. Our sin is is against God. It seems victimless, it seems small, it seems like if I end up being a time thief at my job and just stay clocked in for a little bit longer, they're a million dollar organization, who's that gonna hurt? If I look at this, Nobody else knows, it's not hurting anybody. And it feels like a victimless crime, but in reality, our sin is not against people. Our sin is not against ourselves only, it's against God. It's the same language that what David used when he sinned with Bathsheba. David was the king of Israel and he sat up on his rooftop and he saw a woman and he wanted to sleep with her, so he went and found her and he slept with her and she got pregnant. And when she got pregnant, he said, okay, what's the situation in her home life? And she was married to a man who was away at war. And he said, there, there's so much going on here. I've got to figure out. So he brought him back home. And that man was a man of high integrity. And he said, while my brothers are out fighting, I'm not going to go in and sleep with my wife. It seems like such a privilege. I'm going to sleep at, at the doorstep. And David's sitting there going, man, that just didn't work. So what does he do? He puts lies on top of lies and he tells the commander of the army, hey, whenever you go out to fight, go ahead and pull back at the last second and that man will be standing out all by himself and he'll be killed. So now David is dealing with the repercussions of a child out of wedlock. He's murdered someone's son, someone's husband, someone's brother. And he, he never even comes clean until someone, until Nathan comes to him and says, hey, you've taken something that's not rightfully yours. You're the problem. You need to repent. And he just, he, he has this moment. If you've never read Psalm 51, it's an incredible template of how to pray to God when you are at your end. But in Psalm 51 verse four, he, he's kind of repenting to God, but he says this thing at this point in Psalm 51, 
51.4, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He ends up telling God, God, it's not, I've, I've killed someone's son and husband and brother. I, I've, I've impregnated this woman who's not my wife. He has this web of sin, this web of ugliness, this web of, thi- and he goes, God, it's against you that I've sinned against. Because God is the ultimate, ultimate authority. Why? Because he's holy. He's perfect. So in the presence of light, darkness looks really bad. In the presence of someone who's really good, even a small white lie, even a little bad word is really bad. You ever slip up around your grandparents and say something you shouldn't have and you go, oh, I don't know if grandma's ever heard that word before. Why, because she's a little holy old lady. And God is so much better than that. He's perfect. So any amount of sin, regardless of how big or how little, regardless of, the, of the, the depth of the lack of integrity, it's a sin against him and against him alone. Our sin is against God. Look at verse five. This is the fallout. Acts 5, 5 through 11. It says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. She confirmed the lie. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The third point is that lack of integrity has a fallout. A lack of integrity has a consequence. We already talked about that a little bit, but you probably have a situation where lack of integrity has a fallout. When you've done something sketchy, when you've done something that you're not proud of, when you're worried someone might find out, you lay in bed at night. You worry and you wonder when, if, how are they gonna find out and what's gonna happen when they do. Sin has a fallout. Lack of integrity has a fallout. When I think about this, it's, it brings me back to the idea that sin leads to death. When sin is just a seed, it doesn't look like death. It looks pretty good. When sin is just a seed, it looks harmless. It looks attractive. It looks like something everyone might like to have. Take that piece of a lack of integrity that you have and play it out over the next 30 years. It seems small now. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But what's at stake? What would you miss out on? What would you lose? 
I think about the picture of the, the, the Israelite, of the, of the young church that we read about in chapter four. They were of one heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own and they had everything in common. The great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There wasn't a needy person among them for as many as there were owners of land or houses sold among them, they brought proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to any who had need. This picture of what this young church was was so exciting, it was so good. And it was what God meant for the church to be. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be a part, but they wanted to be a part without possessing integrity. And it said that great fear came upon them. That they looked at what happened to Ananias and Sapphira and they said, God's serious. Sin has a consequence. I told you to play out that sin over the next 30 years. It seems so small now. It seems so insignificant. It seems like it's not gonna matter. But play that out when you have a family. Play that out when there are people relying on you. Play that out when you wanna have influence. Play that out when you want a spouse. It's sobering. It's difficult. Sin has a consequence. And this is where we look at this, and, and honestly, this is like, if we wrapped it up now, it's like, you go home pretty sad. <laughs> it's pretty difficult. But this fourth point, I think, is what gives a little bit of hope. Is that integrity helps build a legacy. Integrity helps build a legacy. I think about the people, but the men and women that I look up to, the people that are in our church, the people that help lead our church, the people that I have looked up to, my, my father, my grandfather, the people that have lived their life for 50, 60, 70 years and have done the right thing when it's difficult and owned up to it when they didn't do the right thing and have confessed in humility and repented in difficulty. That's where I wanna be in 50 years. I want my life to live a legacy that points to not my greatness but the God who sustains me and holds me up that what we read on Sunday, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have the power to have integrity on my own. I really don't. But we have the power to do it because of Christ. And I think we have to understand that it is gonna be difficult and it is gonna get countercultural at a certain point. One of my favorite stories is the, is the story of Mike Pence. Mike Pence was the vice president under Donald Trump and it came out somewhere in, in his, his tenure as vice president that Mike Pence would not meet with have dinner with or dine with a woman who was not his wife by himself. And he got raked over the coals. He got told that that is the stupid, you don't trust women, you, are, you, are you a fool? This is a dignitary and you think she's just gonna do something? What, what do you think is gonna happen? People thought he was an idiot. Why would anybody think that? And he said, I'm gonna respect my wife and she's gonna be the only person 
of the opposite gender that I will go dine with alone. And he called it the Billy Graham rule. That Billy Graham had a very public rule that he would not have meetings with, counsel, or dine with women who were not his wife alone. And he caught flat for it in his time. And you look at it and you're like, okay, could I? Yeah, absolutely. Could you do that? Absolutely. Is it that big of a deal? Depending on your situation, maybe not. But depending on the legacy that you want to leave, it is a big deal. And when you look at the life of Billy Graham, who got to preach to millions of people about the goodness of God, and he knew the stakes were so high that if his integrity was thrown into question, his whole ministry was thrown into question. We don't have time. Look carefully then how you walk. Why? Because not as unwise, but as wise. Why? Because the days are evil. If we just choose to stand still and pretend that water is not rushing at our feet, wanting to take us to a place that we don't want to go, we'll get swept away. We have to be wise. We have to look. We have to not be foolish. We have to understand what the will of the Lord is. We have to look at what culture says. Of course you can do that and say, I'm not going to. To look at people in your field and say, everybody does this, but you have to say, I'm not going to because I want to honor God. I want to leave a legacy. I want my life to point to something bigger and greater than myself, and that's the, the Savior, the Creator that came into my life and forgave me of my sin. That's what's at stake. We have to understand that we get to be the conduit of Jesus to people, and we can't take this flippantly. We can't take this lightly. This is an honor. So when we look at it and we say our sin's against God, he takes a lack of integrity seriously and sin has a fault. Yes, it does. Because there's a legacy to be left. And unfortunately, negative news goes pretty far and we see it all of the time. But I look at this and I think through integrity helps us build a legacy. What if this place, what if right now all of us dedicated to living with integrity of doing the right thing when no one's watching of apologizing crazy concept right my last point is it's not too late to live with integrity it's not too late to live with integrity Psalm 15, 1 and 2 says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Another version says, who shall be your friend? He who walks blamelessly and and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And and that last phrase, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. I, I look at the things that I've done and I've gone, I've worn so many masks. I've done so many foolish things. I've said things that I'm not proud of. I've, I've worn a mask to certain people and they've only ever known me as a mask. When it says blameless, I go, I, I, I'm not that. I'm not blameless, I can tell you that much. And you hear blameless and you're like, okay, one strike and you're out. But that's not what blameless means. Blameless means that someone has taken your blame from you. 
that God has justified you. What Galatians says is God justified us through faith in God. The word justified is that your wrongdoing is made right through God so that you're not blameless. We strive to be, we strive to be a picture of Jesus to the people around us, a conduit of the love of God. But blameless because Jesus was blameless and he covers us. We don't have what it takes to be blameless. But what we do have what it takes is to take the mask that we wear and to say, God, I'm gonna lay it down in front of you because I'm gonna keep picking it up. I'm gonna keep trying to pick it up. And I need daily, moment by moment to say, God, I need to be honest and I need to be who you created me to be. And that is blameless in front of you. And that is something that we have to, by faith, say, God, you did what you did on the cross so that I could be blameless. So what Paul said, he boasted in his weakness. He took off his mask and said, hey, look how ugly. Look how difficult I can be. Where other people were putting up their masks saying, this is who I really am. Paul said, I take joy in laying down my mask. I take joy in laying down my lack of integrity because I know that God is all the integrity that I can be, all the integrity that I need. In Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, I think Logan read this the first week when we were talking about God's word. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the, listen to this, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ananias and Sapphira had impure intentions of the heart and of the mind, and his word and his spirit pierces to the center of that to know it. You can fool everyone else around you to say, man, it's good church, kid. But at the end of the day, God's perspective is he sees right past the mask. He knows who you really are. And listen to what it says next. It says it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. Who you are at the end of the day, who you are when no one else is watching, he sees it and he knows. But listen to this. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There is gonna come a day where we stand before the king who is fully holy, who is fully good, and we have two choices. We can put on a mask and say, hey, I've done it myself. God, all those mistakes weren't quite what they seemed to be. God, I'm doing pretty good. And he's going to say, I'm discerning to the heart. You're naked and exposed in front of me and you aren't who you say you are. But to have integrity doesn't mean to be perfect. What it means is to be blameless, that the blame has shifted. The other choice that we have when we get to that moment of judgment is saying, I wore this for a long time until I met Jesus. And I don't have a reason why you should let me into heaven. I don't have a reason why you should let me know God, why I should be in your presence, but Jesus. That's the only sentence that we can give is, but God, I, I, I was bad, but 
God, in a moment of full integrity, we have the choice to stand before our judge, to stand before our creator, to stand before our sustainer, who put breath in our lungs, who made the beautiful sky tonight, who let you sit in your seat, who let you be born to the family that you are, who gave you the hair color and the eye color and the height and the weight and the skin tone that you have and say, God, it's all you and it's not me. That's integrity. That's the beginning of wisdom. Is that you? Can you say that? Because there's peace to those words. There's peace to saying, this is my mask. My name is Jared and I love when people like me. That's my mask. And I'll stretch a story. I'll be frustrated at my kids and get out of the car and then put on a smile because I want people to like me. And that's me. That's what I bring to the table. I can be deceptive, I can lie, I can be ugly, I can be short, I can be mean, I can be unkind. An unbelievable amount of selfishness, but God took my mask. He made me blameless. And I don't have anything that I bring to the table that makes me blameless. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. God, tonight, I pray that this would be a time while I'm holding a silly Iron Man mask that we would come and we would lay down the things that we think we are to you. God, that we would lay down all of our faults, that we would lay down all of our selfishness, that we would lay down all of our pride, that we would lay down all the reasons that we think we deserve to be with you, all the reasons that we think we are great, and we would be humbled in front of you and say, God, because of you I can be blameless, no other reason. God, you would start shaping our hearts to be people of integrity fully and totally.